Oh, that game's NES hard. Today on... Welcome to Press B to Cancel, everybody. I'm Polish109. With me are the esteemed guests that have been here with me for every other episode and the guys that know what they're talking about. Wait, wait, wait. The other guys have been here every episode? Okay, uh, never mind. Uh, So, Werewolf, uh, welcome to the show. If this has been your first time, I don't think it has. Okay. How about you introduce yourselves really quick? Everybody knows each other here. We've been on on the uh, show together since the beginning. And, uh, of course, Werewolf is here for the first time ever today. Thank you for having me. Humbled to be here. <laughs> Humbled to be here? Okay. And we also have Guy Prime from the Retro Therapy, also known as GP. Uh, hey, what's going on? And before we go any further, Paul, you did say you would sign my community service thing for the court, right? Yeah, for volunteer yes. service? Yeah, yeah okay, thank totally. you. Okay, yeah. Okay, so now that we got that, you know, that's full discretion, Every, you know, everything's covered. Uh, we also have Sick Jake. It's my first day. Thank you. It's your first day. Every day is like my first day. Okay, so guys, on our first day here, we're going to talk about NES hard. All right. The term that people have come to use, either adoringly or hatefully. Um, what I want to say is just discuss a few things with you guys, see what we can come out of it. But it's a lot more subjective than I thought it was going to be. Um, there are a few theories. There are a few facts. Some of them are a little bit more obvious than others, but some of them, some of them are the things that make you go, hmm, I think is how the song goes. But uh, let's just start off real quick. I want to say old NES games were hard, poor designed, needlessly difficult. That's something I subscribed to up until about a year ago. And uh, so when we were talking about episode ideas, this one really stuck out to me because I totally agreed with that. And I, in theory, I kind of do because NES games are hard. <laughs> we have a ton of games that people are scared to touch and you will watch somebody on Twitch or any other platform just playing it because you want to see someone suffer like you did as a child. So uh, let's just talk about it. Like I said, I'm going to do the schoolboy thing here. and We're going to start with a definition. This is, like I said, the first definition that suited my purposes, so it worked out really well. Uh, definition of game is a form of play or sport, especially a competitive one played according to rules and decided by skill, strength, or luck. All right? That's something that you can argue with a lot of modern games sometimes. But uh, st- skill, strength, and luck are some major components to it, and Game design was built around that a lot more often than you'd expect. Um, I want to talk about the hardware side of it a little bit with the uh, werewolf here. And could you just tell me a little bit? Uh, we're going to skip it. We had Atari to start with, basically, and we stepped up and we basically doubled the power hardware wise. I'm going to argue with that. We'll just say that. Um, but what was the biggest difference between Atari and NES, would you say, in a nutshell? Um, over time, it really became the ability to have playing boards that were much bigger than one screen. They could scroll along and extend, go up, down, whichever, left, right. Um, they could show more characters on screen, more sprites, more details, more colors, 
uh, more, I believe it had the ability to play more sound channels so you could have something that more resembled music. And in general, it was more. I think the only thing it had less of was the overall color palette. But even then, it could show more on screen at once. Exactly. So everything was amped up, you know. It was another thing that was common with, uh, I got to say, that started out with early NES games. I think uh, Jake might actually be able to tell what I'm thinking about here. Jake, what's something that uh, Atari and NES had in common really at the start? Well, when it comes to Atari, there was definitely that technical limitations. And that expanded, of course, with the NES hardware. But early on with Nintendo, you can tell that game developers didn't quite know what to do with that additional space and power. So much like the Atari games, which were all based around high score, there was almost never an ending to an Atari game. There's always an infinite loop through the levels that got harder as you go. A lot of early Nintendo games were the same. Uh, one example for me would probably be like Balloon Fight, for example. Balloon Fight had a series of levels. It was almost entirely score-based, though. A lot of it was based on score. Oh, yeah. um, there's, a, there's a lot of early Nintendo games that are all uh, the idea of a score and difficulty increasing, but not... In the, in not increasing difficulty in the way of the level design, but more just the enemies got harder, got faster. That infinite loop was definitely prominent for the early Nintendo games, and it felt a lot like Atari stuff. Okay, so like, you know, you could have more responding enemies and, you know, more pinch points in, you know, a level or stuff like that is what you're getting at? Yeah. Would you call it bad design or would you call it more learning along the way? Because this is really early in video game history, right? Well, it's on all at the time unwritten manual. This is all early design, right? This is all brand new for them at the time. And when you look at, I mean, you had a system on Atari, you had asteroids and space invaders. There were no levels, right? The, right. the one Atari game I loved was Keystone Capers. And I think the only thing that really changed with that was the number of elements on the screen, the number of enemies increased with each gameplay loop. Otherwise, it's identical. Right. If you're lucky, the colors would change. But with the Nintendo, with the more space, you had the ability to actually do true levels. Um, but early on, they didn't know how to do that. And you had a lot of looping gameplay. And I think that's just a learning experience for Nintendo and what they could do with it. This is also just after the Atari video game crash. And I think a lot of developers wanted to play a little bit safe in the beginning. They didn't want to experiment too drastically. You know, they want to make sure that they didn't crash like the Atari did. I hear you. That's that's I couldn't put it better myself, actually. That's great because, you know... Video games, they were trying to des like design them to be arcade cabinets for your house. You know, you wanted to play a video game that you could play like Riger. You know, you could play it at home or you could play it in the arcade. You know, you wanted that experience. But, uh, you know, arcade cabinets, of course, had much better hardware. They had, you know, could handle more stuff going on. So it's great. But, um, you know, there's limited capacity in a cartridge and, you know, the, the hardware and the software are very limited. They're still learning. This is all just breaking ground. Um, so what ends up happening is we have to make everything kind of better at once. We need to keep people engaged in more than one way. It, it can't be like conversation with games now is it's a great story, you know, or the gameplay is tight. Or, you know, it's never difficulty unless you're talking about Dark Souls, you know. And that's the thing about Dark Souls. I can't stand the series. I love watching them. I can't play them. I'm terrible at them. But it has a lot more in common with NES than I ever thought. And we'll get into that a little bit. Um, 
one thing that we want to talk about is is subjective. You know, everybody has a different experience. This is going to be harder for me than anything else. I can't play Contra without 30 lives cheat. GP, on the other hand, can do it usually deathless, and he does it constantly, and it makes me angry, and so I hate it when he plays Contra around me. But uh, GP, i got some questions for you, actually, since you are obviously much better at these platformers than me. So uh, are you open for questions, Doctor? Uh, yeah, I am, I'm currently taking questions. Go for it. Okay, okay, perfect. So early NES games, would you say they're harder at a glance than, say, you know, Super NES or N64, anything newer? In, in my opinion, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. sorry, do you want me to, to go on and elaborate, or do oh, you yeah, want the yeah, one word to answer? Give me a little elaboration here. Let's, <laughs> okay. let's see what's going on in the brain of GP. Well, I, I don't know. I just, we're doing blind <clears throat> blind runs. You guys know that. And puberty this year. Apparently I'm hitting puberty, finally. But uh, no, and Congratulations, and playing, I'm still waiting. Just in time yeah, for the and, wedding. And, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, so going back and doing all these blind runs and playing these games for the first time, most of them have been NES. And there is definitely, in my opinion, just that NES hard level that does not exist from the Super Nintendo on. Super Nintendo definitely had its own type of difficulty, but regardless of if it's platformers or, you know, RPGs, you know, you look at Zelda, um, it's definitely, there's a level of, of difficulty there, and it's a coin toss with whether or not you think it's good stage design or well thought out stages. You know, I think of like Contra, or if you think of just, the developers trying to make something that will make a kid want to rent the game endlessly, um, you know, such as Adventure Island, where it's just death after death after death. Um, but, you know, so so for me, the question is, at least with platformers, is it trolley design or brilliant design that makes something NES hard? Now, can I challenge you and say, why not both? Well, no, I think that's that's ultimately where it's got to come down. Um, like there I was saying, go. it's either uh, <laughs> it's either going to be the the good game design that is difficult, but you can tell the the developers want you to win. They give you the opportunity. They just say, "This is the way you, we want you to do it," but you could do it other ways. Or it's just memorization patterns, which I kind of tend to think that memorization um, are the weaker forms of platformers. Um, to give you an example, uh, Battletoads. Battletoads has a lot of great things in it, but the part that people really get hung up on the most, um, when I did my, my blind run of that, everybody said, good luck with the turbo tunnels. Well, that is pure memorization. There's no RNG, so far as I can tell. It's just high-paced memorization. Exactly, and that's that's a major part of it. So Yeah, and if you zoom out and look at that game as a whole... The weaker parts of the game, in my opinion, are the memorization ones. But the stuff with RNG and the platforming, that's really the, the crux that makes a game like Battletoads great. Right. And that that's fair. You guys, uh, anybody have anything else to chime in on that? Now, see, I have something to say regarding the RNG that takes it way too far. Uh, I don't know if you guys are terribly familiar with the game Werewolf for the NES, but oh, yeah. dear God, there is so much RNG in that game for things that hurt you, knock you into pits to kill you. It's absolutely ridiculous. 
and it makes it not fun. Would you say it's intentional, though? I, I honestly couldn't tell you. It's probably not because that game was farmed out to so many different teams at once that I'm pretty sure it was not intended so much as a side effect of how the game was developed. Do you give an example of why it was hard? Because I've actually never played Werewolf. Okay, so the level where it gets really bad to the point of near impossibility, because I've seen playthroughs of people going through it, but I've never been able to do it without Game Genie. Uh, oh, level water. four. With the water? The water stage. <laughs> oh, yeah. There are just, there are fish that jump out of the water when you're over a pit of water and you don't have a whole lot of control to like turn back after you jump. And so you jump and you got to hope you're on the right trajectory to be able to attack and hit the fish, assuming everything goes properly because it's RNG as hell. Okay, yeah. And you just most of the time you're going to get knocked back and you don't even land on the logs that are on the waterfall, the ones that you just jumped off of. You'll fall through them to your death. Right. And also, they show off the most of the level underwater is what I remember the most about that. You die and you see yourself die. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially the screen is two board, uh, two screen. The board is two screens tall and a bunch of screens long. And they made a point of letting you know you suck because you got hit by this RNG enemy that sent you down to your death. And the whole lower half of the board is watching your werewolf fall to his death and drowning. Yeah. <laughs> So too much RNG yeah. is a bad thing. Just to go back to Battletoads for a minute, when you look at various sources, top 10 hardest Nintendo games, a lot of them put Battletoads as number one. I couldn't disagree more, I think, with that game. I think um, I yeah. like Battletoads a lot. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Just like my wife. <laughs> hey, oh, <laughs> no, it just about... <laughs> With Bal with Bal John Bobbitt, is that you? <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. There we go. Uh with Battletoads. The game is hard, but is it hard because the gameplay is difficult, or is it because the amount of lives and continues you have is incredibly limited? Like right? And that's my thing with Battletoads, is that I think it's not necessarily difficult in gameplay, but the limitation on what you have to play. That, like that's a game I beat as a kid with a game genie. Oh yeah, but that's that's another thing though that we have to take into account is a limitation not just in the hardware but in the game design itself. They put that in there. You you have to lose or you have something to lose if you actually die. You know, get modern games you get respawned outside of you know wherever you just died or you get sent back to the next last checkpoint or uh, the last save point, whatever you you know go from there. But this is where they put the design in there. You know. Sometimes it's called artificial difficulty, and I think that it couldn't be farther from the truth. I mean, this is meant to challenge you. What happens when you die in a game? You start the level over. What happens when you lose all your lives? Maybe you have a continue, but you know you got to start over from that level as opposed to you know like that checkpoint. So there's a little bit more of a a punishment there. What happens if you run out of your continues? Well, you're screwed. You got to start over, and you know that makes. An experience that's 
you don't want to die. <laughs> you want to you want to get farther than your friend can. Let's let's challenge each other and see who can get to the further level. Uh, you know, we're ne- we're never going to beat this in the first try, but we're going to see who we can beat. You know, amongst ourselves. So that that's just something I think you get better. You know, and it forces you to get better. And like you said, with GP said with um, Battle Toads, memorization is a huge part of it. It's not just quick reflexes there's you show me somebody with the best reflexes you know who's never played battletoads never seen it and see if they get through the turbo tunnel or through oh i can't even remember the i want to call it speed bikes on crack where you're in the rockets volkmeyer's inferno <laughs> the pizza cutters volkmeyer's inferno thank you uh, <laughs> you know there's only so like there's certain things about that that you can't really comprehend on your first go through like you have to go forward you have to go backwards up and down is one thing you have to you have to know ahead of time you know it's physically impossible to do it the first time well not impossible but there's more luck involved so you know that is you can argue that is bad design but no it forces you to play through it again you you got to get good kid you know and that's something that nintendo really forced people to do you couldn't do that and there's different reasons for that um, you, you'd practice, you know, practice meant, oh crap, I died again. Continue is over. You got to use your memory, your skill, and you got to strategize. You know, the strategy might be, don't kick this guy in the face. You have to punch him three times and walk away. You know, like if you're playing double dragon or, you know, something else like that, the better you get at an old platformer is the more strategy you've, you've implemented in your head. And once you get to that level where you're starting to make it so automatically, you don't even notice it, you know. That's that's when people are the crazy speedrunners and stuff. I don't even like speedrunning, but you have to admit they're impressive to watch because it's just muscle memory more than you know any reflex. They know exactly what's coming and they've practiced. It's like playing an instrument, so it's it's a whole different experience because of that, and that's the design element. So, um, Jake, I want to talk to you about designing these games, but. When they were released, you know, games get tested, right? Well, they get tested. But when you look at game developers back in that era, the teams were much smaller than they are you know, today. Modern game companies can be 100 employees or thereabouts, right? We didn't have that back with Nintendo. It's larger than the Atari days where you had some games created by one person. But with Nintendo, you still had teams of under a dozen people in a lot of cases. So the person who was designing the levels would more than likely be the one testing them. I mean, if they did have a QA designer, he's doing something else on the team as well. So you mean that I couldn't go to get a job as a nine-year-old boy at Nintendo but testing games? That's not how that worked? I don't think it was like that back then. I mean, certainly that's a job that opened up later on with the Super Nintendo Genesis eras. You know, QA teams for EA and whatnot were, were notorious. But for the original Nintendo, it's such small teams. It really meant that the person who was the most expert at that game, the developer or the designer was the one who was also doing the testing. So if they're the ones playing the game over and over again. They're constantly knowing, and they're you know finding all the bugs. They know exactly what's coming, so they kind of have the advantage, right? Well, that's the thing. There's another... To look at another modern game, there's a... What's the guy's name? Wolf, do you remember the guy's name who made Castlevania? Igaruka, I think his name uh, is? Koji Igarashi. Igarashi, okay. So Igarashi has recently released um, Bloodstained which is a, you know, a throwback to the Castlevania series. Right. But I read a, an article or an interview where they're talking about how they created their game and how they took an approach to testing it. 
they ensured that everybody testing the game could beat every single boss with the lowest item or the weakest item in the game, a knife. If they couldn't beat the, the game or the boss with a knife and didn't die, then they had to go back and retool that boss and make it easier. So right there, boom, 100% design. That is all by design. And that's exactly right. what I'm trying to get at here is like they they thought this through more than most people ever expected you to. That is something I didn't even know. And I mean, that makes perfect sense. I think that's awesome. But I mean, you go back to the original Castlevania and you see if they had that philosophy, something tells me they doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do have something worth considering uh, when games were brought to North America, at the very least, for the NES. Because Nintendo of America had what they called a Game Master, which was Howard Phillips. He would play the games that were coming over from Japan and determine whether the American market would find them fun or not. So that way... Nintendo of America would be like, yes, we want this one over here. No, we don't want that one. And so it was on. all on one guy's shoulders, basically. But, well, it, eventually it, the team it branched out. But you have to consider the, the fact that when they brought them to North America, these people who would play the games and determine whether they were for the North American market would also give notes to the developers for bringing them to North America and let them know, you know, this should be harder this should be easier and so forth. And a lot of times it was making games a bit harder. Right. And so part of that comes from the fact that these guys just played games for a living. They inherently were better at games than the average person. So they were like, yeah, this is too easy. This needs to be harder. Sorry. And so is this like a pro sports ball thing? Is this how that works too? Wait. Okay. So this is, this is turning out different than I thought. This maybe actually sounds like the definition of a game. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, it's just <laughs> it, it's just worth considering that the people who determined whether the game was for the North American market could sometimes find the games too easy just because they played them for a living. Oh, exactly. And that's something else. I mean, rent uh sorry, when uh if you're going to hear NES hard, the first person who's going to say it is usually from North America because we got, we got a lot more of the easier stuff, you know, and think about uh, the lost levels. We've talked about that in a previous podcast, Jake, what was half the reason they changed uh, from lost levels to the Doki Doki panic version? Well, the main thing was the difficulty, right? Uh, that was one of those games that came across North America and Howard and his team looked at it and said, there's no way. Lost Levels is far too difficult for the American palette. It's a game machine. It's not meant to be that difficult. we got to find something else. So that's why they went and pulled up Doki Doki Panic. And Lost Levels, when it was released in Japan, it was meant to be more of a, an expansion, right? It was meant to be hard. They, did, they wanted to take people who beat the original Mario and give them something that was expanding and more difficult, more challenging. And that's what Lost Levels was. Hard by design, for sure. Exactly. And that's the thing. So it was hard by design and that it led to us getting an easier game, completely different game. And that was by design as well. Like that's another element, you know, this is too hard for our audience. This is too easy for another audience. You know, it goes on like that. So these are all conscious decisions. One more angle. I just wanted to touch at before, you know, get too, uh, too far off topic is, you know, another situation is when did game rentals come into this? Anybody know? Like when did when was the like explosion of game rentals? Because we all know when it died. You know, everybody experienced that. 
that's pretty much old enough to understand this podcast. But I mean, most people, you know, were too young to even realize when the whole rental industry started. And what's what's going to happen is if you beat a game, you know, in a weekend, you rent um, you rent a game for the weekend, you beat it. I felt good. You put it down, never play it again. You know, has that been the case for you guys? I mean, obviously, there's going to be some games that you play and you play and you play. But if you're renting a game and you beat it the first time when you rent it over the weekend, are you going to rent it again the next weekend? Or are you going to try something new? What about you, GP? Well, actually, no, I... <laughs> I can't say much as to when the video game rental started, but I can say that um, my older brother and my older cousins were always the ones who had the insight into what games to try and to rent. Um, you know, my cousins had the Nintendo Power subscription, so they always kind of knew what to look out for. My older brother, of course, being the older brother, kind of got dibs on what he wanted to play, which was a good thing because I was clueless. And for me, I just second-handed everything they tried, and if they were addicted to that game over the weekend or whatever it was, I was, you know, shit out of luck. I didn't get to play these games. And honestly, that's that's kind of what led me to just honing in on the same, like, 20 to 30 games throughout my entire life up until this point. So, you know, clearly, kind of to bring this full circle, we talked about the arcade being brought into the home and using these at-home arcade systems, the NES and the Atari and things like that. You can't pop quarters into those, so how are we going to get them to continue renting or buy? You know, like you said, it's it's ramp up the difficulty. That's the name of the game. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? So, oh, I mean... Absolutely. I, I, I could not agree more. I'm glad that we have NES Hard, um, but I'm not usually glad that we have it until I beat the game. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that actually. I, I know you are usually on the fence about a game, and you're like, "It's not bad." I don't honestly, I don't see the the appeal. Like, I don't see why people get. It. Next thing you know, you beat it, and why are you speed running this? What? Right, yeah. I thought you didn't like this game, and now yeah. next thing you know, you're you're practicing for a charity event playing this game, or so. <laughs> but uh, no, that's fair. Like, that's totally fair, and so that that is giving you an experience because you have something to conquer. You know, it's not just beating your way through the game it's just working it's beating the game in general not for the ending but just to say you beat it and then you can do it again and again and it's like hey this is an accomplishment you know um, right. modern games is something that it doesn't have that same mentality anymore the experience of a modern game because we have such better technology we can put more into a story we can put more into the voice acting or the audio in general you know the sound effects everything you, you get a visual novel, but with video game elements, you know? So you're in control of it. It's it's an experience. We call it a movie experience. You know, it's... it's I don't even... I don't know how to describe it now. <laughs> but it was less game and more, you know, fantasy ex experience, if, if that makes any sense. I'm trying to find the right words, and they're, they're not coming here. But it became less about a game and more about an experience. If that, if that makes any, it makes any sense. And I, I know that a game is an experience obviously, but you know, you can pick up and put down an NES game. You know, you want some 
mindless uh, just video game time just to relax, you can pop in an old NES game and see if you can beat your high score. Just go through the game entirely, see how fast you can beat it. Do whatever you want with it. But, you know, it is what it is what it is because of what you make of it. The games are very simplified, you know, compared to now, like nowadays, but they make you fill in the blanks. Like I've talked about with pixel art, I've talked about the music. The music may be kind of archaic looking back with all the MIDI and the chip tunes, but that's part of the charm. And they went out of their way to make properly composed music that fit with their themes. So another thing that we can talk about is game length. Um, if you spend some, you know, six hours playing Ninja Gaiden, you probably might not beat it. You know, uh, that's the case for me. I probably got into the third level and spent six hours on it. Um, it's one of those, this, one of the iconic hardest games, you know, but that game was designed really well. There's limited lives. There's limited continues. Are there any continues in that? Anybody? I can't even remember. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's limited continues. They have respawning enemies and they'll respawn endlessly. And it seems like a cheese tap, like cheese tactic to make the difficulty harder. But at the same time, it's all based on like triggers. So if you run past this screen, like this, you run past this one pixel on the screen, you know, a bird will come out or a, like a dude will come out who's in your way. You have to find a way. You have to strategize a way around them. Um, would that be fair to say? Or, you know, is it just luck and it's pure, pure uh, reflex? Because sometimes you can't act on that reflex within the constraints of the game. You know, you can only slash forward or backwards. You can't do it up or down. You can't do the downward thrust like you can in Zelda in every game. You know, it, it gets it gets a whole more level of strategy and the games become a puzzle. You know, not necessarily Tetris, but you have to think ahead. You have to strategize. And that's where the muscle memory, that's where the experience, that's where the practice all comes in. Before, if you spent, like I said, I was going on talking about six hours on Ninja Gaiden. You can beat the game what half an hour, twenty minutes, something like that, probably forty minutes, fifty minutes. I don't even know what the record is, but you can do it in one go. But you might have spent fifty to sixty hours playing that game. What happens if you spent sixty hours playing a modern video game? You might be past the tutorials. So, and to be fair, the games in these days often need them because there's so much you can do. You know, I digress. Um, you can take the lives and continues out the knockback, especially in Castlevania and um, Ninja Gaiden. Those are all things that are designed in the game to make them a game. You have to get past this. You get stuck on a spot and you go through it. You have to get past it. Uh, Jake, has there ever been games where you can't get past a single section because you just can't figure out the pattern or is it because it's completely unfair? Which one is usually the case? One good example is a game that uh, when I was researching for this episode, I forgot about, but I had played a lot as a kid, was Top Gun for the Nintendo. And much like the movie, you're a fighter, pilot, taking down, you know, bogeys, dodging missiles, that type of thing. And it seems not that difficult at first, and it's actually quite fun. The shooting gameplay works. But one part that was always death for me, I could just never get past it, was at the end of every level, you had to land the plane on an aircraft carrier. You would adjust your speed, your angle, and all that. And if you didn't nail the timing and the settings, you either fell in the ocean or just rolled off the deck of that ship and fell in the ocean either way. You're dead either way. It was almost impossible for me to land in that aircraft carrier. I felt like I was doing it mostly through luck. 
I must have had the knockoff of that game or something because you just described stealth stealth ATF to a T, except (laughs) for the aircraft carrier. It's the same thing that the fighting, the dogfights were awesome. Then at the end of the stage, you got to land that thing and you almost always crash it. Well, I still remember the one section where if you manage to land by dumb luck on the aircraft carrier, the next level, you have to refuel in midair. Which I'm I'm assuming that's difficult in real life. That makes sense. But why they made it so difficult in the game, I don't know. But you had to line up with this nozzle that comes down the screen. And if you miss it, you take too long, the fucking plane takes off on you and leaves you behind. <laughs> and then you die without fuel. Like, it was just <laughs> insane. But the rest of the game was fine. Like, the combat was fine. Everything else, not a problem. It's just the landing in the aircraft carrier and also precision when you're trying to refuel. Those two parts, I almost never got past in that game. Yeah. Now, is there a way that it is totally RNG and that you can't adjust to it? Or is it just a matter of painstaking labor of practice? I think it's more a practice or just knowing the right speed and angle to use. I mean, I've seen people play through that game no problem. But, I mean, they've they've played enough of it to know what the settings are. As a kid, you're less concerned about details when you're playing these type of games. And the yeah. game is so arcadey. And the combat is is mostly combat focused. So when you're faced with the elements of trying to be precision and landing on, a, on an aircraft carrier, that part almost feels like it doesn't belong in the game. It feels like a different genre at that point, from arcade to simulation. And that part was really difficult as a kid. You just you just triggered something in my head too. Another thing when we're going talking about arcadey games, um, a lot of the earlier NES titles were you know trying to emulate arcade games, but something that we developed along the way was the ability to save or use passwords. Now you couldn't do that earlier on. And then they figured out how to do it. And then all of a sudden they could put more into it. Um, so even with, you know, you can use passwords to kind of bypass almost the whole lives and continues thing, you know, or add on to it. So, you know, if this isn't enough, then you can start over here. This is punching your password. Boom. We're at level four again. We're about to suffer through it. Any anything you got to think about that or? Yeah, so uh, again, you're mentioning about arcade games and bringing arcades home. One of the things, one of the design decisions behind arcade games was they want you to keep feeding in quarters, right? So the right. games are artificially made difficult to get more money out of your pocket. Now you bring those games home to the Nintendo. One example I'm going to say is Ghouls and Ghosts, which I actually like the game, but it's brutally difficult, right? You get one hit, you lose your armor. Second hit, you die. Fair. And then you, if it's the arcade, you have to feed another quarter. But the home, they don't want – obviously, you paid full price for a game. You don't need that. But they don't want to redevelop the game from scratch. So instead, they put in – I want to say it's Infinite Continuous for Ghouls and Ghosts or Ghosts and Goblins. I can't remember which one it was. It was but, Ghosts uh, and Goblins. And yes, it was Infinite Continues. Right. Though it was completely possible to screw yourself by picking one player instead of going down to continue. Oh, yes. I remember. Actually, I remember that because I did that recently on the um, the, NES, the Switch has that NES collection. I did that once and that pissed me off. I wonder if that was deliberate. Yeah, I think that could have been uh, an effect for the developers to kind of troll with us, too, because and this is my argument. You know, there's no proof of this, but I could say, you know, making it easy to accidentally go end instead of continue kind of makes you slow things down a little bit. And we got to be careful that you don't screw it up. <laughs> so that's that's my little argument. I'm trying to, uh, you know, debate this topic a little bit and try to show that everything's by design. When, of course, you know, it not always is. Let's look at point-and-click adventures. Those can be ridiculous, you know. There can be 
stuff with, uh, like you said, with Werewolf, where it was just the RNG was making it impossible. So it becomes luck more than skill or strategy. And I think that's 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 bad design, in my opinion. Um, it does add an element of risk and, you know, reward when you actually beat it. But it can be a little bit tricky sometimes. So, yeah, so some games were made poorly. As a result of, you know, let's, let's try to get this out. Other games are trying to make you stick with it. You know, they don't make more money if you buy the cartridge and die a million times in Ghosts and Goblins. They do if you're playing the arcade, but not for the cart. You know, that was part of the uh, the rental thing, too, is rentals also affected the industry. What do you think about a GP? <laughs> <laughs> uh, about rentals? About rentals, yeah. just want to ask you about that first. Okay, um, I think the the idea behind rentals, as Sick Jake kind of mentioned earlier, was you can't pop quarters into the games when you're at home, so you make them hard. But depending on your age and what you rent, that is what's going to impact how quickly the turnaround is. I mean, if, if you're a kid and you rely on your parents to take you to Blockbuster or wherever to rent the games... You're kind of stuck to, to their mercy. But there is, if you make it to, you know, stage five in Doki Doki Panic, and you've got to return that game, there is, there's a timer in your head almost saying, I have to go get that again as soon as possible so that I don't forget how to do what I've already done. And exactly. <laughs> so we, we, we've talked a little bit about luck and, and stage design, but a lot of that is also... Um, the idiocy of the player, which I think I'm kind of the human embodiment of that idiocy. <laughs> um, you know, and that, that's also where the life hack, the original life hack of leaving your NES on overnight came from. This may never happen again. I have to leave the game on before I go to bed. Exactly. Right. So, and then of course, we talk about the, the bigger games. Uh, you had mentioned some of the point and click adventures. Um, I am going to piss some people off by discussing the Zelda games, those games were long when you first run them, and they are medium length when you know what you're doing. But Zelda, Metroid, it is exploration, pure and simple. So it doesn't matter how good or intuitive the stage design is. If you're new to it, um, you're bombing everything, looking for hidden entrances. It's not as simple left and right obvious as Mega Man or Contra or even Ghosts and Goblins, uh, no matter it's how hard those games might be. Oh, yeah. Plenty of Zelda is a time sink of just an entirely different fashion. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's kind of what led to, you know, games giving you more of an experience as opposed to just having a high score or competition. You know what I mean? It's the journey, right? That, the adventure games are meant about the exploration. That's the point of that type of game. Yeah. And this is before you have a fancy ending that you kind of look forward to and say, I want I want to see how this turns out. This is, where does this lead? You know? And it's exactly, it's a time sink, but in the best way as far as I'm concerned. I agree. I actually, I have a personal anecdote that's kind of in Nintendo's favor on their stance on making games harder because of rentals. Okay. Um, while not an NES game, I did once rent Aladdin for the Super Nintendo. 
Nice. Within two hours of renting it, I had beaten the game. Yeah, I remember so that one too. <laughs> I, I took I took it back and asked them to let me rent something else because that game was just so quick it was ridiculous. Yeah. So they let me rent something else, something that wasn't like brand new on the shelf because they were like, well, you did already rent this other thing. But I was like, okay, cool. So I rented something else. But I've never played that version of Aladdin again. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, Be- games became more disposable. And, you know, for better or worse, that's... That's how it's gone. <laughs> how about Jake? Do you have any experiences with rentals? Well, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> that sounded rehearsed. <laughs> Me? No. I didn't Google this five minutes ago. No. <laughs> but what Wolf just said is the number one reason why Nintendo did not like rentals. Right? The video game or the video game, the VHS or the tape, you know, rental store started in the late 70s. But games didn't start coming out until, I want to say, mid-80s. And Nintendo tried to block it with lawsuits. Uh, Basically, they took Blockbuster to court, for example. And Blockbuster actually won the right to take Nintendo games and then rent them. Nintendo wanted people to buy the games right off the bat. Why? Because some games you could beat within an hour. Um, I still have a... I remember one game I played. It wasn't Nintendo. It was a Genesis title, Red and Stimpy. I brought it for a friend of mine. I beat it in 20 minutes. No lie. 20 minutes. If I had paid full price for that game, I would have been upset. And Nintendo yeah. had a lot of games where you could beat them very quickly. So Nintendo hated the rental industry because it let people experience their titles and finish them very quickly. And that that trend of lawsuits continued throughout the 80s. They even had one in 1990. It went to the house and they had to rule on it. Uh, and again, Nintendo of Japan said that this is hurting our bottom line by renting these games out to people who can probably beat them for eight bucks or five bucks with the cost of rental is they're not paying the full price of the game. You're hurting the bottom line. And the courts upheld the decision and said, no, it's, it's no problem with renting out titles. It's no different than the, the video home video market. Right. And that that's fair. I mean, you know, in regards to rentals positions, but Nintendo had a point, but you know, that was on them. So they made games harder, you know, and not all games. I mean, not everything's is fun and as easy as Kirby. And Kirby was made to make things fun. I mean, Kirby is not a hard game, you know, but they're great. And I, I want to play a Kirby game just as much as I want to play, you know, a Castlevania game sometimes. Sometimes you just want to play something. And well, it depends on. on the mood. What Kirby game is not hard? Which, which one? The first one. The first one, the Game Boy one? No, the Nintendo one. That's that's not the that first That game one. is hard. What's wrong with you? No that way. The one boss fight with the moon and sun, that was a hard-ass boss fight. One boss fight, man. One bo- <laughs> I don't even know. I just remember it being easy for me. Sorry, my seven-year-old daughter's chiming in here. Kirby is easy. Okay. Very good. Oh. Oh. <laughs> nice. I'm just a scrub. I see how it is. That game is... I challenge you to play that game again. I did on stream. I've never beaten Kirby, but that's usually because I get so bored. Oh, and I'm sure I'm going to get some hate for saying that, but I've beaten the Game Boy one, the NES one. I've never beaten just because I get bored along the way. Yeah. And I mean, see, this is the thing. And things get subjective along the way, you know, when it comes to difficulty and stuff. Jake just said it's hard. I had no problem. You quit it because it was too easy, you know? GP's seven-year-old daughter says, you're all nubs. 
it, it, it comes down to experience. Everybody's going to have a different experience, you know, and NES hard is a, t- is a very subjective thing, even though there are a lot of elements that make hard games or hard elements to these games. For me, I hated NES games up until like a year and a half, two years ago, because, you know, I couldn't get it to work. <laughs> That's age. You know, my console is worn out. Carts don't want to work when they did. They crap, you know, half time they might crap out mid game if, you know, the wind changed. The difficulty was NES hard. And I felt it was because they didn't know how to make games. You know, I just felt like this is hard for the sake of hard. Now I know better. Like, you know, they're hard on purpose. In For different reasons, you can we can talk about that for hours. And that's the thing. I think I'm getting tongue-tied because there's so many angles we can talk about. And we can talk about one angle for hours. Um, but they're meant to challenge you. And, you know, renting a game and beating it in a weekend is one thing. You know, or 20 minutes in Jake's case. Uh, but you never buy it, right? You don't, you don't want to play it again. You didn't want to play Aladdin again. So NES didn't have the hardware to having grossing storylines and good gameplay. You know, if it was, if it was an engrossing storyline, it was probably a point and click adventure, which was mostly text-based and they were hard for a myriad of other reasons. Like there's just trial and error half the time. And, you know, there was no learning curve. It was just hope for the best, you know, Shadowgate has probably got one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard for an NES game. But I hate playing it because if I don't know exactly what to do, then you're lost and you just have to die over and over again. So NES being hard, it kind of forces you to fill in the blanks. Um, You know, you had to experience it. You want to be a plumber that, you know, gets mushrooms and gets powerful or you want to be a guy that's fighting aliens or you want to be a vampire hunter or you want to be a giant pink puff that eats everything in his path. I mean, I'm kind of like that now uh in real life but you know you you have there's no way to put the stories in there you have to kind of put yourself in there the same way when you're reading a book you know the book is always better than the movie so for me i think a lot of retro games for me because of the difficulty because of the fact that you have to fill in the blanks it's like reading a book i just want i'm gonna have a couple more points and then i just want to we'll top it off with everybody we'll just talk about talk about our like number one game we fear the most you know why why is this the hardest game that you played or why one of them and you don't want to touch it i think i know what jake's is already but uh that's not for nes you don't know me <laughs> you don't know me but uh one thing too you, you don't also, know jake <laughs> you also have one thing now that is built into the game that wasn't there before that i want to mention is manuals and my god i miss manuals do I ever miss the instruction manuals? That was that was what I did when I rented a game before I'd play the game. If it was just enough to read in the car trip home, which was only a few minutes for me, okay, I know what I got to do. I know what this button does. I know what that button does. Good. If it wasn't and it was longer, like say for you know something a little bit more complex, I would sit down on the couch and read it before I'd even put the card in. I might have been the only person who does that. I don't know. I wanted to play the game, but I wanted to feel prepared for it. And so reading the instructions for me is always the thing. Like I do that with my tools now, even when I buy a new tool. So it kind of works out that way. But uh, <laughs> they don't have the same information. You have to feel it out sometimes. Uh, some, are, some people are okay with that. Others aren't. You know, this is hard. This is easy. But either way, we got a lot of stuff in common now with modern games that I don't want to touch. 
than we ever did with NES games. And because of the difficulty and because of the play style, the design of the games where you're designed to be hard to challenge you. For me, a true game these days are the ones that I don't want to touch, like first person shooters. You know, you have to take out other other players, you know, so it is skill and reflexes. It's not memorization. You might have strategies you can employ, but that's it, right? But those are games I don't want to touch, but at the same time, they have the most in common with these earlier games for difficulty when it comes to skill and reflexes. But a lot of the stuff is memorization. A lot of the stuff is um, just experience and going through it again. You don't have that same kind of experience now because of all the checkpoints, the auto-save, auto-aim, you know, things really change the experience either way let's let's i'm gonna i can gush about this for hours so again let's just let's just talk about the (laughs) final uh what's the nail in the coffin for you there werewolf i want to hear about what's one game that makes you fear (sighs) okay so there's a game that i've been wanting to play and actually beat for years uh it's called legacy of the wizard I don't know if you guys know of it or not, but it's part of the Xanadu slash Faxanadu series. Oh. Um, it's like a, a side story type of game, but uh, it's like an action, an action RPG platformer. Very early Metroidvania. I'm interested. And you actually have multiple characters to play as. And for whatever reason, I have never been able to navigate the dungeons in that game properly. I either pick the wrong character and get stuck somewhere and can't get out because that character can't jump high enough. Or I pick someone who's too weak for a certain area and I just get my ass handed to me. There's just, there's so many elements to that game that can go wrong and you really need to be able to navigate it with the right characters, which means you have to go back, like navigate all the way back to the beginning of the dungeon every time to swap characters back at home. Because there's Mama, Papa, the brother, the sister, the grandmother, I think, and the dog. <laughs> that's uh, that's quite the party. And it's it's a pretty difficult game in a lot of regards in terms of, you know, how enemies act. You know, you actually have an ammo count of sorts. It's got puzzles and exploration and difficult fights and... It's just one I've never beaten, and I still intend to. That that one is, as far as NES games go, that one will probably be my Everest. That'll be it. That'll do it. <laughs> That's interesting to hear, though. I kind of want to check that out now, because the party alone that you have there that you mentioned is pretty intriguing. <laughs> you just want to play as a dog. <laughs> You're not wrong. Oh, I usually did. He turned into a little dragon. <gasps> See, that's even better. All right. How about GP, man? What about you? What was some of your uh, most feared games? I know you probably conquered a few now in the last while with all the the blind plays you've been doing and ones that you may have feared, like Battletoads. Oh, yeah. A lot of these... Well, in the past year, we've beaten a lot of games, but they've been blind runs, so I haven't really been afraid of them because I haven't known anything about them. Uh, So I'll, I'll answer it this way. Currently, the one game I've seen a little bit of that I have no desire to play is Ghosts and Goblins. We played, we did the blind run of Super Ghouls and Ghosts, and I fell hard in love with that game. And then going back and looking at Ghosts and Goblins, 
I just don't have the desire to play it. It looks bad. <laughs> it sounds well bad, and uh, it just—it's not there for me. But the one that's, game that's fair. The one game growing up that I felt so accomplished when I beat it, and I'm going to get some shit for this, is uh, it's an LJN game called Jaws, based off of <laughs> Jaws for the Revenge starring Michael Caine. And uh, <laughs> it's just like the movie. Just, yeah, right. It's really Michael Caine. Okay, so here's the reason I'm afraid of it. We're going to cut that part out. But the the reason that's what you think. I celebrated my victory over that game was that game. We swam all the time growing up, and I had this fear of sharks, even in swimming pools. You know how it is. But that yeah. game, my brother, my older brother, who could beat everything, could not beat Jaws. And so to, to try to even fathom playing the game that my brother could not play was just, it was out of my league. And so fast forward 30 years, now I'm technically a man, and I've, I've played it and I've beaten it. And of course, if you've ever beaten it, you understand how shitty the ending is. Uh, if you haven't played it, maybe just YouTube it. Don't, don't worry about beating it. But So growing up, it was Jaws or... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, as an adult, I've beaten them both. Ninja Turtles, much more rewarding. Um, and just completely forget Ghosts and Goblins. Okay, that, that's fair. Uh, i got to say, I agree with you when it comes to Ghosts and Goblins. I love Super Ghouls and Ghosts. It's probably one of my favorite games. Um, but I have no desire to play Ghosts and Goblins. So, Ghosts and Goblins and Jaws can confirm both of those sentiments from GP. Well, <laughs> yeah. The thing about Ghosts and Goblins, though, is that, I mean, the Infinite Continues, it's actually beatable, and it's, I mean, it is definitely a hard game. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But with the Infinite Continues, it makes it doable. It's just a rough experience after you've gone through Super Ghouls and Ghosts already. Well, and, oh, I agree and, with that, for sure. And do you, after you've beaten it, do you feel accomplished, or do you feel like, well, that was a thing I did? No, you know why? Because you have to beat it a second time to get the ending. <laughs> right, right. They make you do it twice. And that's where I want to argue about bad game design. But uh, <laughs> but that's, I got to say, no, I love the second one. So, And Jake's completely right. You know, it's it's hard. But, uh, yeah, going back a second time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Jake, would that be one that you were afraid to play? No, actually, uh, well, okay, at first, probably, but when I, I played it recently on the Nintendo Switch, uh, they did a re-release, and when I realized there was Infinite Continues, I didn't finish it, but I got quite deep into the game after only an hour or so, so it's, it's one that I actually look forward to playing, but compared to the Supergirls and Ghosts, you guys are right, it's it's not a game you go back to, it's not like you're going to play Super Metroid, you want to play the original Metroid to see what it was like, it's, once you've, once you've tasted 16-bit in that series, you don't want to go back, I agree with that. Uh, but for me, in the the game that I fear, the game that's probably most difficult for me. <laughs> if you say Kirby, this podcast it's is difficult over. for all the wrong reasons. Look, man, Kirby is difficult. I'll fight you. All right, that Game Boy game. There's a hard mode in it. I beat the hard mode. I was I was accomplished as a kid. I know we established, according to GP's kids, that I am a dirty <laughs> casual, and that's fine. <laughs> But the no, the game that was hard for me was actually hard for all the wrong reasons, and it's uh, ported on everything. But I did play it on the Nintendo originally, and it was Bart versus the Space Mutants. Oh, yeah. Has yes. anybody played that game? Yeah. 
I've gotten to the second level. Hey. Once. Werewolf. Sorry. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one was actually recently given to me by GP and uh complete inbox. Very nice. <laughs> oh yeah, I it's, I love having it on my shelf. <laughs> yeah, on the shelf is where it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't so much love having it in my toaster. <laughs> no, but that game is hard. So, I mean, you guys have played it, which is great. The first level you're trying to – you basically, the game is every stage you're collecting something. The first level is fun, actually. It's not bad. There's lots of Easter eggs in it. You're trying to find things that are purple and paint them. The second level, I think, is balloons or coins or shoes or something. But the level that, that really set me on the edge, that really got me, was the museum level where you're collecting – exit signs which is the dumbest concept <laughs> but first off they're all high up and you have to half the time you have to use uh, ammo to shoot them that's the one problem but there's one section in particular that is always maddening to me and it's the tar pits you have to jump across tar pits and the platforms see this uh, this game it's been ported to every system and it shows in how janky it is it's like they never quite got the hitboxes right to me Every jump in that game is perilous. Where there are, I feel like if I'm off by a couple pixels, even if they're invisible, they're enough to like make that jump fail. And you fall in tar pits, you die instantly. And that's one of the grudges I have in most games. And this game goes to games that are, are treasured like Mega Man. If there's instant death because of that kind of concept, spikes or lava, I hate it. Like it, Mario's an exception because you can usually avoid it. But like games where you have that, that just random... De instant death because of pits and spikes drives me nuts and just sets me on the edge. And that museum level, those tar pits, I don't think I ever did beat that. And I don't want to try. There's there's one streamer I've been watching and he goes through it and he's he's good at the game. Like he speeds runs it and he has issues with the tar pits. So it just tells me that how difficult, not just artificially because there's limited lives and whatnot, but difficult in that the hitboxes, the design of the, of the, of the game was done badly. And it's hard to judge jumps, right? And difficult by design because they put all these these signs you're going to collect high up and in difficult spots, making it just hard to get through the level. Just It's hard for all the wrong reasons. I, I just do not like that game for the difficulty. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. We were talking about that earlier, but, you know, you had teams of people playing the games and stuff. Might have gotten tested. Some games definitely didn't get tested enough. Other games probably tested so much to the point where they became harder, you know? Um, so when it comes to that, you know, you have to think in account, take into account about people actually having time to develop their game fully. Was this game released, finished, or were they in like a time crunch? You know, there's a bunch of angles and stuff. Sometimes you'll never know these things, but you know, when, when a good game comes along, I think you know it, you might get really salty at it, but if you beat it, boom. You're laughing. Yeah, guys. Uh, I kind of out of ideas here now. Uh, otherwise, we'll be talking for another six hours. So, <laughs> I do have one closing thought. Oh, what's that? What's that? What's that? It, it wasn't until doing research for this podcast that uh, I had ever heard that NES hard games were due to bad game design. That was something that I had never heard until these last two weeks. I I, I don't only know why heard that it is. Why? Oh, I just I don't know why that is. Oh. Like for me, I <laughs> like all the people I know who play video games grew up playing video games 
the same age as I did. So, yeah. you know, NES games were just brutal. We it's, accepted it's definitely, it. We moved on. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's definitely a, like, you know, a younger generation too. Because I mean, I'm mid 30s and you guys are, you know, late 40s. It's all, it's all cool. Um, <laughs> kids, like younger kids are like, you know, this is crap. This is too hard and stuff like that because they've never experienced this whole thing. So, it, you know, that generation gap between modern gaming and how games are designed and planned now versus how they were made back then are two different things, you know. I don't want to bring up Dark Souls and just start preaching on that one because everybody else probably already has. But, you know, it is one of the most true to original game designs when it comes to like the NES era, because it has the same kind of mechanics. You have to take your time. You have to learn patterns. You die, you suffer, you learn, you get better. And sometimes you die because the game straight up lied to you. Yeah. And, uh, and we all call the dragons that... are dead. Oh, look, a dragon corpse. Oh, look, it ate me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why I'm not playing that game, because I know that's going to happen to me. Um, <laughs> no, but th- that's all these things. See, it shows how subjective these things are. But bad design, I think, has become an excuse, especially for uh, a generation that doesn't know so much uh, versus ones that experienced it growing up. So it, I don't want to say ignorance or because that sounds rude. Yeah. Maybe it's ignorance is bliss kind of deal. <laughs> I just feel like if you're going to blame the design choices, at least have ideas of why yeah. you can't just say oh, it's bad design. You, if you can't, if you don't have something to back it up, it's probably not quite as bad design as you think it is. Exactly. So it, I think it's more of an excuse and that's probably why I wanted to argue against that excuse. So, uh, yeah, that's. I think I think we've hammered it home enough here, guys. I want to thank you for uh, listening to me ramble about stuff because uh, just there's so many elements of this that uh, couldn't keep my thoughts straight. Just for the, anybody who's interested in finding some more content by these lovely gentlemen, how about uh, we start with GP and let's go uh, talk where we can find more of our hosts. Sure, thank you. Um, you can find me on Twitch as the Retro Therapy. Uh, and then also on Twitter and Instagram. Is oh, it as, as also the retro therapy? Like a modern sexy ass gamer. No, wait, that's me. Okay, never mind. Nice. Nope. No sexy ass, just therapy. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. And uh, Jake, how about you, man? And where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at SickJake, or I'm also a part time semi annual buy never streamer on Twitch at twitch.tv slash sickjake. Sounds so rehearsed and sounds so beautiful when it comes out of your mouth. I'm just, oh, God, teach me. <laughs> and how about the art of bullshitting is strong when you have kids. <laughs> nice. And at Werewolf, how about you, man? Where can we find more of you? You can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Werewolf, W-A-R-E-W-U-L-F-F. And thank you again. I'd just like to reiterate, thank you guys for having me on the show finally. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. It's uh, great to have you here for the first time ever. But anyways, if you want to uh, find more, you can always come back. If not, press B to cancel. Special thanks for music go to Arthur the Ancient, found on SoundCloud, or The Last Ancient on YouTube. For more episodes, please visit our website, pressb2cancel.com. 
As well, feel free to like or subscribe at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you like to listen to your favorite shows. As always, thank you. This has been... Thank you.